بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد بل هو قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد بل هو آيات بينات في صدور الذين أوتوا العلم صدق الله العظيم I'm standing up because uh, I've had some late nights in the last few days and uh, I don't want to fall asleep while speaking to you um, so I'm going to stand up so I can move around a bit and keep it fresh I want to first thank uh, our uh, speaker and our great Sheikh Hazrat uh, Mullah Mahmoud Madani for uh, for, for his kind words, uh, clearly uh, I don't deserve them, and, uh, but the situation is the way it is. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept him, and uh, the work that he's doing in the Indian subcontinent, and uh, the benefit of that in other places as well, is probably not unknown to, uh, to, to you all. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant him even greater, uh, and accept him inshallah so our dear ulama dear mashaykh dear brothers dear sisters uh, I see some young young people as well some young girls young boys I see as well I hope I don't stand here and waste your afternoon I know you've waited for a long time already um, uh, we make dua for those who've mashallah worked very hard to put this uh, this event together we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept it and make it useful. Let us start with the topic. Can you just give me, uh, is it possible to give me the topic again? Now this topic here is, sounds like a very pompous topic. Uh, an, intellectual's, an intellectual person's path to success. Which assumes that if you're here, you must consider yourself to be intellectual. That means that this is, it, it seems to assume that if anybody is not intellectual, they shouldn't be here. Right? Um, so I don't know what intention you came with, but we're all here now. And whatever the situation is, uh, to be honest, the first time when this was presented to me, I was averse to the topic. It just sounds a bit too self-dignifying, a bit too, too self-purifying, uh, elevating. And, but if that works here, Alhamdulillah, it works, right? Uh, we're here now. Uh, if, if you don't consider yourself intellectual or you do consider, it's irrelevant. Because if Allah has given us uh, a lot of gray matter in the mind, in the brain, that we can use, mashallah, to accomplish something in this world, then we want to also use it to accomplish something in the hereafter as well. Uh, what I'm going to speak about today may not be just may, may not be uh, just on one particular topic or one particular subject uh, I want to just bring over various different points uh, thinking points I want to just throw ideas out there just uh, to get us to think where are we in this regard everybody here in general has their own reality that they deal with their own family situation, work situation, personal situation. 
they have particular pers uh, perspectives they have particular goals certain ambitions in what they want to do in life so it's difficult to give uh, a particular way forward everybody that uh, or a particular way that works for everybody that's why what I want to speak about today are things that will make us think about our own life and our own situation and inshallah help us to think of those matters that we may not have been thinking about that are important both from a faith and a worldly perspective it's very easy for career oriented people to become blind of everything else if i am very career driven and there's something that I, there's a there's a glass ceiling that i assume i want to break through this glass ceiling then i become so focused so tunnel visioned that i don't think about anything else sometimes i will probably neglect my family neglect uh, my social circle if i have one neglect extended relatives and of course then neglecting your religion neglecting your own health sometimes neglecting your own health sometimes that's why a comprehensive human being from an islamic perspective is somebody who gives due to everything all the needs and that's what we're trying to create the balance and i think that is the biggest challenge for uh, for certain driven people if i say driven people so in in that sense i'm going to be talking about several different things let me give you an example the discussion has that Maulana Mahmoud Madnisa brought up here was about a general interaction with people of other faiths. That's a nice term to use people of other faiths, Islam and other faiths. How is our interaction? And one of the things that was mentioned is that uh, we need to change our perspective. We need to start uh, looking at everybody else as uh, someone that we can work with for the ultimate or higher goal how we can share our good values by displaying it on ourselves first by enacting it first this has been one thing that i've spoken about a few times now it's very easy to claim that our messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam was the greatest personality there's no doubt about that it's very easy to say the quran is the best book but at the end of the day for somebody who's not going to read it who's not going to study the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam it's just a claim they're going to be listening to from the mouths of Muslim people. How do they know that what we're saying is true? Maybe what we're doing in our life contradicts what is supposed to be good character, prophetic good character. So we claim Prophet was like this and his akhlaq were like this and his conduct was excellent and he had sublime characteristics. But how do we prove it to people that that is the case? We can't force them to read a seerah or a, a, a biography of Rasulullah We can't always force everybody to read the Quran. We have to become manifestations of the Quran and Sunnah. And that has a greater impact. And that will hopefully, inshallah, turn the tide. If there are people out there creating animosity and hatred towards Muslims, or against Muslims rather then uh, somebody asked the question yesterday Islam has become maligned and crit cr criticized on a world stage what is our responsibility 
Well, our responsibility is that we don't have CNN in our hands. We don't have the BBC in our hands. We don't have anything that is up to that level, that has such a widespread, that has such mass impact. We don't have anything like that. So our responsibility is at a local level. That's our responsibility. Shaitan will make us think that we need to change the global scene. But then we forget the local scene. Really, it's the local scene that we have to start to make a change at. Now, one of the contentions, uh, if I'm to start uh, uh, dealing with some of the issues of some of the principles of life, let's call it. This can apply if you're a student. Do we have any students here who are still studying? Put your hands up, please. Okay. All right. So that's maybe about 10%, 10 to 15% are students. I'm assuming the rest would be uh, business people or employers, uh, employed or employers, right? Working, the working class as such. So now, there's a few things I want to mention. Is whatever you're doing, in whatever field you are, you must be able to excel in that field. You must be able to excel in that field. So, you do your best. In Islam, we have a concept of a concept called Ihsan which means to make something excellent to beautify something it comes from the word Husn which means to cause something to make something as beautiful as possible I don't mean just make yourself look beautiful with a lot of makeup right or with nice clothes that's just one aspect but in everything you do if you're building a masjid well make sure that it is excellent in the way you build it which means think about everything, including the smell of the masjid. Most people build good masjids, beautiful masjids, but they forget that there is a fragrance is also part of Islam. Tweeb, which basically means good scent. The Prophet ﷺ loved good scent. He hated bad scent. So in, a, in fact, studies show that good scents, they create the right, they help to create the right, right atmosphere. If you go to some of these prominent uh, global brand hotels, they actually have, they spend money uh, with uh, some olfactory scientists or engineers to create the perfect scent for the mood that they want to give and create for their guests. So if you go to the Hilton, you go to certain others, there's a certain scent, uh, a perfume, fragrance that they will actually have designed to convey their mood and masjids need to think about that maybe I'm talking on a very high level here but inshallah I, it needs to be mentioned because nobody even is concerned about this in everything we do we need to show perfection because perfection is what people appreciate in the way we work I was in Sri Lanka uh, a few days ago and one of the scholars there told me that one of the biggest problems we have here is that nobody trusts anybody's word anymore. People are not willing to trust your word. And the reason is that people are generally let down too often. So for example, if I tell you that I'm going to come in 10 minutes, then it becomes half an hour. If I tell you I'm going to be there in two minutes, it actually doesn't mean two, it means 20. So for example, we went to a a hotel uh, actually the hotel we were staying in and the mufti sahab he was dropping us off to the hotel but he had to come inside 
there was no parking and the parking attendant said you can't park here so he said just give me five minutes I only need to five minutes we're gonna go upstairs collect something and come back down and the person was unwilling and uh, but then finally we convinced him we went upstairs and Mufti Sahib told me that this the reason is because we will say five minutes but we'll come down after 20 minutes and there's other people whose cars may want to go out so we made sure that we went up and we quickly came back down, down within five minutes just to show that there's somebody who keeps his words now this isn't to say just Muslims don't keep their word but even the people of other faiths there don't keep their word it becomes a mahol it becomes an environment this is the problem Imam Shafi rahmatullahi alayhi, he says that you need to travel you need to travel because traveling he says has five benefits and one of the benefits he mentions in traveling is that you will be able to understand and reform your character how do you reform your character and behavior when you're traveling the way you do it is that when you're living in one particular society one particular community and culture certain bad habits have become assimilated into that culture and become normal in that culture tolerated in that culture and people just deal with it people just deal with it no longer do you even think it's a problem for example if we're used to doing ghibat, uh, backbiting and anytime somebody's discussion comes I'm willing to talk about them somebody else is willing to talk about them there's nobody who feels bad about it they think it's okay to do so then what's gonna happen is everybody starts doing that but when you then go to another culture another place where people don't speak like that they don't do riba so easily they don't criticize so easily they have more patience then you will start saying that oh this is my problem you'll start seeing that through the reflection of that so that's one of the benefits in your work you must do the best and I've seen where the benefit of that comes about many Muslims rightly so and in some cases wrongly so they're always complaining that uh, we're not given our rights our rights are not taken into consideration um, we want to go for Friday prayer from work they don't let us go I want to keep a beard at work but they don't they're, they're, they're causing problems uh, I want to wear the hijab I want to cover myself up when I go to work for for women they cause discrimination you see that's a reality we're gonna to have to deal with if that's the reality that's just something we can't change it overnight by magic there's no magic here right you agree there's no magic here the way you have to change that is by showing your value as a human being by being a Muslim you have to show that when I work I work well for example if you saying to your uh, to your employer where you work with your office manager whoever he is that I need to pray so I need to go and make my Dhuhr prayer and instead of taking 10 minutes which you could do or 15 minutes you take half an hour you don't need to but you do then basically you're giving off the wrong impression they're gonna think well let me get somebody who doesn't need to pray right let me get somebody who doesn't need to pray why should I get somebody who's gonna ask for these things so we have to pray so we have to ask for it there's uh, one friend who I have he works for a housing association he's an IT person there's a certain niche uh, housing association managing software 
which there's very few uh, technicians, IT technicians who can uh, manage that software. He's one of them. He was invited to come to work for a, in West London for a particular housing association. And in the interview, he said, look, uh, especially in the winter, because in London, uh, in England, in the winter, the Fajr is about uh, 7, 7.30 in the morning. Dhuhr uh, is at about 12.31. Uh, Dhuhr uh, is at 3 o'clock. Uh, Asr is at 3 o'clock. Maghrib is at 4 o'clock. And so all of these will come in work time. Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, within a few moments of each other, will come in work time. So I'm going to have to pray. So uh, I'm just mentioning this from before. So they said, okay, we will research into this and we will check because they want to make sure that he's not just making excuses. So in the next interview, Alhamdulillah, we went and we researched and we see that Muslims do pray. So we will be hiring a room in the hotel next door for you to be able to go and pray in whenever you want. Now, he was surprised. He says, I don't need a hotel room. I just need a small space in a corner of a room somewhere. Don't waste your money. Right? Don't waste your money. And uh, so then they found a storeroom which they cleaned up put a carpet in there and they said okay this is for you the reason why he can do this is because he shows capability quality commitment if you're going to be constantly taking shortcuts and trying to use your muslim card it's going to be a problem uh, just two ramadans ago he showed me his schedule that the company has sent him and he showed in there how it said uh, they, had a, they had a shortened schedule for him. And he said, Ramadan, Ramadan, Ramadan. They understand he's fasting. And in, nowadays, the fast is very long in Ramadan because Maghrib is at 9.20 in London. And Fajr can finish by 1... Uh, sorry, uh, Sehri finishes by 1.15, 1 1.20. So you're fasting for most of the day. So they have themselves, without him asking... They've given him, these are non-Muslims. They, they have given him a shortened schedule and some days he can work from home. The reason is that he is providing a, an asset to them. Quality. If you're not the best at what you do, then you also want to fight for your rights. It becomes difficult. In the climate we're speaking about. That's the problem. I got another friend. He used to work, uh, uh, he's half Egyptian and half Palestinian. This was in America. And he used to work for uh, superconductor technology. This was about uh, 15 years ago, uh, 15, 20 years ago, when the mobile phones first came out, where the cell phone uh, first started becoming popular. So superconductor technology is used. He used to work in a firm. And he would refuse to, he was a very good worker but he would refuse to attend the annual general meetings because they used to serve wine there. So he made it very clear that I'm unable to come because you serve wine there. I cannot, according to my faith, sit on the same table on which wine is being served. So for two years, three years, he missed the meeting. But he was a very, he was an asset to the company. He used to be also committee member of the masjid. He was, you can say, to a certain degree, my line manager in the masjid, right? So he would give time to the masjid. He would give time to work. Friday evenings, he would take off from work, but he would work extra every day. 
right, at his company. One year, his supervisor called him and he said, we've got the annual general meeting in a few, in a few weeks or few days or whatever it was. Can you come? He says, well, you know my policy. I cannot come because of uh, X, Y, and Z, you know, because of this reason. He said, no, you can come this time because we've changed our policy and no longer will we be serving uh, alcohol in our annual general meetings. The only reason they would do this is, is because he's an asset. Become an asset, become somebody to be valued. Right? If you consider yourself an intellectual, you need to be intellectually, I mean, we need to be valued. We need to be able to provide value. I'll give you another example. I know these are maybe exceptional examples. I know that this is not going to work for magic for everybody. Right? I understand that. I'll give you another example. Another friend of mine, he's a Afghani. He's got a big beard and he works, he works in a very niche IT firm that does uh, um, uh, uh, finance management software. Right? It's uh, something systems, I don't want to mention the name, it's in America. It's actually owned by a Hindu, an Indian Hindu. In America, it's actually owned by an Indian Hindu. And he's a Muslim who works there. And he's very clearly, overtly Muslim. Right? He does it, he's not shy about it. He's not embarrassed about it. He had a mortgage on his house. He had a $500,000 property. And he had, uh, he, he had a, um, a mortgage on his house, maybe 300000 left or whatever. And after hearing about the curse of mortgage and haram and hurma, one Ramadan, he was feeling very upset, making a lot of dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said how he was making dua that oh Allah, get me out of this. Relieve me of this burden. I don't want to be in this sin. Now, make so much money to be able to pay off your mortgage so quickly. His salary may have been 70, 80,000 dollars a year maybe, right at the time. Allah put in his mind, he, he is a very bold character. He's a very bold character, outspoken. No doubt about that, right? Very extroverted, extroverted person. He wrote an email the night before to his boss, the Hindu uh, 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 boss of the, uh, of, the, of the company. That, now you'll be, you'll be, this will be unbelievable for you. He said, I know this sound, this may sound, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I know this may sound strange, but is it anywhere possible that you can pay me this coming year salary up front? Now imagine asking your boss that. Give me this entire next uh, uh, coming year salary in advance, 77,000, whatever it is. And I will then work for free for the whole year. That was the bargain he offered. He said, there's no harm in trying. The worst comes to us, they'll say no. But there's no harm in trying. Now, most of us will probably not even try. You need to be very bold for this. And you need a certain level of tawakkul. The next morning, he goes to work. And the boss is standing there. He says, you know, he called his name and he said, I got your email. Please go and see human resources. They'll, they'll uh, work with you on this. He went to the finance department, whatever it was. And they said, look, this is the offer we're giving you. We will give you your next, your coming year salary up front. But then because you will have no salary for those 12 months, uh, 
for the rest uh, for the 12 months you will be not be receiving a salary because you've received it in advance we will give you half the salary of next year or each month for this month uh, for for the months of this year not just getting 70000 up front but in every subsequent month for the next 2 years you'll get half a salary now isn't that a better deal than what even he had even hoped for that worked for him I'm, if you write an email to your boss today to do the same thing, I don't know if it's going to work. Right? If you have his tawakkul and his du'as, maybe it will work. But what I'm trying to say is that you have to be creative, but you have to be an asset. You have to be a true believer, true to your faith, but also committed to your work. In England and in the West in general, in America, etc., the problem we're having is that we've got two extremes of people. In the workplace, in the media the mass majority in the middle they are not heard of we've either got one extreme who want to assimilate completely they want to not be seen as being any different they want to fit into the culture so they will even go to pubs and clubs they will have their happy evenings with uh, you know where the beer is flowing or the wine is flowing they will do all of these things. They even change their name from Muhammad to Mo, Aslam to Sam, and so on and so forth. They don't want anybody to know they're a Muslim because they believe that this is going to stunt their career. This is going to stop them climbing up the ladder. So they've given up their faith, or it's a very silent faith, very concealed faith, very personal faith. They don't let anybody know. They try to dress, they try to act, they try to fit in completely that's one extreme then you've got the other extreme of people who are going in there who want to even wear you know uh, traditional dress uh, even in a corporate environment where it becomes difficult to do so right in some cases they insist on it uh, which causes some animosity sometimes they want to uh, take their breaks for salat which is fine but then they take extra time and then they constantly say you're discriminating against me if they don't give you enough time. Uh, there's, uh, in London, many Hajj packages are only two weeks or two and a half weeks. Indian Hajj packages are generally six weeks or eight weeks. MashaAllah, you guys have lots of barakah. Right? When Indian comes, they, they come for a very long time, which is understandable because a lot of people have saved up for their entire life and they want to enjoy it because they may not be able to go again. But for people who are uh, in the, mashallah, economically uh, have greater stability and disposable income, if your company doesn't allow six weeks and you have to perform hajj, well, go for two weeks. Nothing wrong with that. Allah will give you tawfiq to do it again. So don't be insistent where you have to bal balance your insistence to also your capability and your asset. What, how much asset are you providing to the company? How far can you push it? It's easy to say, I'm going, in England, we have discrimination laws. If the employer doesn't allow you to pray, doesn't allow you to wear hijab, then you can take them to court, right? Why do you want to do that where you can try to make it work otherwise? SubhanAllah, we have some extremists, in a sense. One sister, she's a niqabi from America, she wrote to me and she said, that her husband this is just complete misunderstanding her husband 
couldn't find a job in which it was 100% you know, segregation and so on. So then he sent his wife to work with a niqab on. Now that's unmanly. Forget being un-Islamic, it's unmanly as well. Purely from a man-male perspective. That's masculinity in crisis. Right? He forced her to go to work because, because of this. Because he couldn't find a so-called kosher job. Meaning a job that fit 100% with the way he wanted things. So you have a lot of, as I said, you have these two extremes. We can't be this extreme. We can't be this extreme. We need to be in the middle. We need to be assets. We need to work hard. And for that, you need to study hard if you're still studying. And there will be discrimination because that's the nature of the world we're living in right now. What are you going to do about it? We just have to do our best and try to use our mind as best as possible to try to help that situation. We have to, the second problem that we're dealing with is the social media. From a productivity standpoint, from a productivity standpoint, social media is very detrimental. And the reason I say this is because social media in itself is not haram. To use Facebook or Twitter or WhatsApp for that matter, or even Instagram to a certain degree is not haram. They are not intrinsically haram things. But their usage can be haram. That's why I have a, uh, I've a, um, compiled a dua for Twitter, compiled a dua for Facebook and all of these other social media sites. The dua is, Allahumma inni as'aluka min khayriha wa khayri ma fiha. Wa na'udhu bika min sharriha wa sharri ma fiha. If you're gonna use it, if you have to use it, either you know, for uh, your, your work related or whatever other reason you use it for, read this dua which basically means, Oh Allah, I ask you for the best of it. And the best of what it's contained or for the best of what it's produced. And Oh Allah, I seek your protection and refuge from the evil of it and from the evil of what it contains. When I went into university, I remember when I went to university for my, uh, for my masters and then PhD, this was the dua that I read. Because while universities provide, mashallah, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge, a lot of expertise, studies, etc. Clearly there are also a lot of fitna and challenges and temptations that are there for men and women. So I wanted to protect myself. I, I, I found this to be a necessary evil, you can say, if you want to call it an evil. I don't necessarily call it an evil, but if you want to term it as such, just as a, uh, as a metaphor, that let me go there. I'm a happily married person. I don't want to go there and get messed up, right? Because this is a big challenge in places like that because of the close interaction and even in the workplace. So my dua was, oh Allah, give me the best of this and for what it's created and let me avoid and protect me from the harms of what there is or what the potential harms there may be because that's what that's that's what you get so you can use this dua for any such environment like this we want to be guided by Allah in everything that we do now um, speaking about whatsapp how many people here do not use whatsapp put your hands up please if you don't use whatsapp right I'd be surprised one two Three, four. Anybody in the sisters not use WhatsApp? Okay, maybe five or six there. Maybe ten people here do not use WhatsApp, which is probably about five percent, if even that much. MashaAllah, WhatsApp 
is the most popular and because it's free now you don't even have to pay 69 uh, cents or something like that a year uska pura hum usool karte hain uske upar khub send karo isse ki wo muft hai like you know just basically bombard the system uh, weigh down the system you know what we have to understand at the end of the day is that there's resources that are being expended even in IT there's energy there are data centers they take up a huge amount of electricity right there are uh, electricity has to be generated this takes uh, the, the natural resources of the world it's all affected and we think it's just the push of a button is just there no there is a there is a payment right there is a cost we never think about these things number two forget just the normal natural cost of it the other cost we have to remember the other thing we have to remember is that there's a time cost involved in these things you will know it people will know if you read uh, the, the the you know the latest reports on things that these things are not created by accident uh, the addictiveness of instagram and the addictiveness of even whatsapp when you see when you send a message and you wait for the one tick and the other tick and uh, that there, there's two ticks and then the green and the feeling it gives you the dopamine rush that it provides you this is all based on our nafs right the studies on the nafs the psychology behind it millions have been spent in trying to figure out the best way to keep people hooked on games uh, children adults everybody husbands wives the works in the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the complaints were from the women that their husbands were not coming to bed they were neglecting them in bed why were they neglecting them not because they were out with their friends partying until late not because they were sitting on their laptops watching haram things the complaint was that they don't come to bed because they because they were doing tahajjud all night they were doing tahajjud all night a woman came to the umar radiyallahu an and she started saying she couldn't say it clearly she started saying my husband he is constantly engaged in worship and he prays all night and so on and so forth so umar radiyallahu an said mashallah wonderful husband you have he's so pious he's so righteous right so she said it again and umar radiyallahu an kept praising the husband saying mashallah what a wonderful pious religious husband you have there was another tabi'i who was sitting there one of his companions and he said that's not what she's saying she's complaining about her husband she's not praising her husband do any of the women have that complaint about their husband that he prays too much that would be a good complaint still today unfortunately the emails we get is that my husband sits watching pornography even until two o'clock at night and she's there complaining i'm saying this openly because it's a reality and the problem in india problem is that your internet is probably the cheapest in the world it's the cheapest in the world i mean from what i'm seeing i mean i haven't been everywhere but it's extremely cheap and uh, when i was sitting on the flight from sri lanka to here both people next to me were on netflix at least one of them the other one was watching some other movie and netflix i don't know have you seen netflix by the way do you know what netflix is right i i looked at it a few uh, because everybody was talking about binging on netflix so then my friend he gave me the access so i checked and mashallah i mean you can literally entertain yourself for the next 72 hours and uh, and just go from one movie to the next the, there is so much algorithm 
and psychology that's gone into presenting the offerings on there in such a way that you just want as soon as one movie finishes the next one starts they give you a suggestion they do that in YouTube it's just to keep you hooked a lot of science has gone into this the report shows that some of the founders or the people at the top end of these things of these uh, facilities they don't even let their children have access to these things because they know the shaitaniyat behind it they know the potential problems behind it they want their children to be productive like they were this is the opium for the masses that they've created we must be careful about this so when Umar heard from his companion that oh she's complaining about her husband he says okay since you now understood her case you need to deal with it so he said okay let's call her husband now what's interesting is that both of them were poets both the husband and the wife they were both poets so they're both speaking in line uh, in verse the husband is saying oh you know my love for Allah and my love for the nafal is keeping my side away from the bed and etc etc and then she gets to respond she says oh Khalifa oh uh, judge don't become deceived by his pretty words you know make sure that you tell him to do what's right and so on and so forth so finally the judgment was that the judgment uh, that this uh, co uh, this companion gave is that the husband is allowed in every four days he's allowed three days for his worship at night he doesn't have to come to bed right he said every four nights the wife must have you in the bed so Omar said where did you get that judgment from what's the basis of your judgment because it's very interesting judgment does anybody know where this judgment uh, what's the background of this judgment what's the basis what is it yes what is the basis Oh, the four wives mashallah the men understand this don't they right so basically he said that uh, a man is allowed up to four he has decided in those days they used to do two three was normal for them he has decided not to he suffice with one so because his other three options he can use those for worship instead but every fourth night which he would have uh, which he would have been bound to come to the wife then you must uh, then then he must come to the wife right? so those were the kind of complaints that women would bring to the Prophet and the Sahaba today just uh, some time ago one very dignified respectable individual from my community came to me and he's complaining about his wife not that she speaks too much or she does this or she doesn't know he's saying she's constantly on whatsapp and i just thought back and i said in the time of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam the wives would complain about the husbands for worship and today you've got dignified men complaining about their wives that when they're cooking they're on whatsapp so maybe extra salt or less salt or extra mirch or you know less mirch or when they go to bed she's still on a whatsapp sending the rest of the messages and he's waiting to speak to her now this is not a woman problem this is just an example men and women are both into this men and women are both doing this it's just in this case it happened to be the woman who's the proliferator of this problem it is so addictive my children I've got four children uh, uh, one is 21 the other one is 18 and then I've got a 11 and 8 
both my two elder ones uh, when they were young until they got a cell phone right and the two younger ones even until now their main hobby is to read a book if they can't be on the computer they only allowed two hours on Saturday and Sunday two hours each on Saturday and Sunday to be on either do gaming or whatever they want to play they're not allowed otherwise it's just not on all right it's very restricted but after the two hours finish to remove them from there Allahu Akbar you have to send them to rehabilitation I even tell them look you've got you've got addiction problems you've got withdrawal symptoms even my six-year-old uh, sorry eight-year-old now I tell him you've got withdrawal symptoms that's why I'm not gonna let you do next week so then they try to calm down right they read books they read books right how much do they read one of my sons the teacher complained that from going from one class to the next he's reading a book as he's going up the steps he may fall and hurt himself the punishment for them is that you're not allowed to read a book okay for next two hours you can't read a book or for today you can't read a book that's their punishment I mean when I was young I used to read 13 books a week my wife used to read lots of books I don't think it's genetic right so you, you know we can't say everything is genetic I think there's a reason for this when you have young children read to them the mother and the father read to them read to them stories of the prophet read to them other nice uh, moral based stories even if they're not from the Quran Sunnah get them uh, make them understand that books have very interesting stories otherwise if you want your children to read and you say just read 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 and they don't read because they want to be on a screen then you haven't told them why they should read you haven't created in them the inspiration to read when you've read to them and they understand now psychologically they connect a book to a good time a good story then they will want to read themselves in Ramadan we said they're gonna read uh, though we tell them some to read so much Quran as well etc but if you want to read now we then uh, prepared a special box of books that were only Islamic books that in Ramadan you can't read Harry Potter and everything else you must read uh, Islamic books only and I'm just telling you this just for inspiration there were a few big books Khalid bin Walid book it's like a, a special study on Khalid bin Walid in about I don't know three four hundred pages very in-depth study there's another two volume big two volume copy of the conquest of the Sahaba right in English even my seven-year-old he was seven at the time he read the whole thing and the other one about twice they read it I haven't even read it yet if you treat uh, if you if you focus on giving the right kind of interaction to your children then that is how you have to nurture them because you can't just tell them do this and that you have to create that in and spend time in doing that so <clears throat> when it comes to whatsapp for example there's a lot of abuse of whatsapp everything that you hear that comes on whatsapp you forward that is a massive draining of resources and of people's time resources because when i receive a message and i'm not interested in it but right? you're not interested in neither you just forwarded it because it sounded nice you did not practice upon it you just sent it to me i received that same message from five groups what, what am i am i going to read it each time or am i going to delete delete is an effort right deleting is time consuming right all of that is time consuming it takes the resources of your phone it takes resources of everything 
that's why my um, principle is that only forward those things which impacted you so much that you actually made it made some difference in your thinking or your life then forward that otherwise don't just forward everything that comes your way you don't need to right in fact sometimes people forward things which are completely wrong made up inaccurate then you could actually be guilty the prophet sallallahu said that none of, uh, that that it is sufficient for a person to be classed a liar that he just conveys everything they hear the hadith has enough guidance to even provide etiquette facebook and whatsapp and all of these things it's amazing if you look you'll find the guidance for it even though there was no uh, even a dream of these things before so only for that which really benefits you right number two have you seen how many people have been killed on whatsapp such and such a person has died that's the message you get and suddenly says no 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 he's in terminal illness he's not died yet he's still around and then you get another message and another message come on right? you know why are you forwarding these things for why are you perpetrating ignorance don't be party to this be very careful what you forward stop wasting your time with them then they find ingredients about something that is 10 years old and they they send stories which are 10 years old the other thing is do not send forwards to everybody on your list without taking permission don't spam them unless it's something which you want to tell them directly somebody came once from india and he says can i have your number i gave him my number within a few hours i started getting forwards from him i said mashallah what is this did I give you my number to get forwards? Like, did I subscribe to your news channel? When did you become BBC or something? Like, talk to me. Tell me something. Speak to me. Why are you sending me forwards for? So I, I generally write, please unsubscribe me. I, I, get, I receive too much. I don't have the time. And they say, okay, okay. And then they unsubscribe you. Right? This, it's just a massive problem. Don't send spam to people. Now, I don't know if anybody else is going to tell you this, but I feel very strongly about this because I have to constantly go through and delete, delete, delete. It's a, it's a big, big waste of time. And I'm not even on many social groups. I'm only on religious groups. And most of the people on there are ulama. And even they do this. So can you imagine what other people are doing? Right? You have to be very careful how much what you send. Just because it's a free service, do not abuse it. Do not abuse it. So that's social media, use social media, but don't abuse it. Because today it is Facebook and WhatsApp. Tomorrow, I mean, virtual reality, augmented reality is already here. It's already here. And there's a lot of haram in it. The whole porn industry is capitalizing on this to give you whatever pleasure somebody wants. You can design your pleasure, right? I don't want to give people ideas. I'm just speaking frankly that we need to learn our way in this we cannot just close our eyes and say it's haram or we can't close our eyes we're not going to use it because we do use these things and it's halal to use it in the right way but we have to be very clear about the harms of it so 
Right now it's virtual reality, augmented reality and the future with AI is going to bring some other really, really crazy things. It's already there. You guys up in the industry, you may already know about these things. It's only going to get more deeper and darker if we can use the term. Because they have this whole concept of deep knowledge or dark knowledge, you can say. So what are we going to do? We need to place ourselves, position ourselves in the correct way making sure that our heart is in the right place so that we can work on these things. Then moving on to, again, the intellectual person. As an intellectual person, how do you want to use the intellect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided you? That's a big question. Allah has provided you an intellect. So what do you want to do with it? Are you just going to use it to get a good job? To further your career for just selfish reasons? So you can have a nice house in... Um, what's a good area here? What's a top class area? You want a house there, you know? Uh, whatever, he said, Bangalore's too big for me. Right? 13 million people, it's actually bigger than London. Double the, it's, it's nearly double the population of London. It's crazy, man. Right? So, you just want to have the biggest house and you want to have the greatest influence. Now you can have these things, but they're not going to bring you satisfaction. You have to remember that um, just yesterday we had a discussion with one of the brothers and uh, the discussion of modernity, modernism came up, right? We, people still use this in a loose way, right? That he is uh, not very modern, she is very modern, he's very modern. I just want to let you know that this is a, a term from history now. The moderns were the people in the 1960s when modernity was introduced. Modernity came in the 1960s to approximately uh, 1990, uh, 2000s, after which post-modernity has taken place. So moderns were those people at that time. We're still using those terms. Let's stop using those terms because you can be a modern Muslim. There's nothing wrong with being a modern Muslim. I consider myself to be a modern Muslim. Modern should not be a negative term. Modern just means that, I mean, if you're using WhatsApp, if you're using cars, if you're using laptops and iPads, then you're a modern person. What else does it mean to be modern? Modernity doesn't have to be, or being modern in our context doesn't have to be a negative thing. Right? So, there was a recent article written by a Christian, uh, 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 quite a, a well-known journalist in London. He is actually addressing the Christians, not the Muslims, but it's very interesting and insightful reading. He is saying to the Christians, secularism, and consumerism secularism consumerism is going to come to an end soon because remember uh, capitalism consumerism uh, secularism this is last 20 30 years 40 years the impact of things can only be understood later they had communism which they thought was the best thing for the people there but now even China, which is supposed to be a communist country, there's a massive disparity in the haves and the have-nots, right? So uh, India left its socialism. 
is becoming very capitalist. It just didn't work. That doesn't mean capitalist, capitalism works. Capitalism is just more, it is just more conducive to the nafs of the human being. That's all it is. Just, they, they, they are measuring the health of a society, of a country, by what people spend at Diwali Christmas. That's why you have Black Friday. What is Black Friday? A lot of people think it's a conspiracy that it's a Black Jumu'ah. It's not a Black Jumu'ah. Black Friday is an American concept that they want to provide a lot of offers so that people buy before Christmas time in November. They buy in advance in Christmas time. And hopefully, what they can do is they can come out of the red and become black in terms of their finances. That's the idea behind it. So they measure the health, the economic health of a society by, by what people can buy, what people go out and buy. Oh, people didn't shop enough. So that means the economy is bad. I mean, what a weird culture. They make you buy, they make you buy, they make you buy things you don't want. Forget, they make you buy things you don't need, they make you buy things you don't want. Just because you got money, you just buy it. Umar radiallahu anhu was confronted by somebody and he was carrying a package. It was of meat. He said, Ma hadha, what is this? He said, this is some meat. Uh, this is some meat that I desired, so I purchased. He says, Kullu Everything you desire, you just buy. Just because you got money, disposable income, doesn't mean you must buy everything. You have to be considerate. Yes, if you've got a need, go and buy. Don't be conduce. Don't be miserly. But when you don't need something, then don't just buy because you can buy. Be careful about what you do. Have a good intention in what you're doing. So consumerism is going to die soon because people, uh, you can't be given satisfaction with products. Your first iPhone will give you satisfaction. Maybe your second one after two, three years will give you satisfaction. But has anybody got the latest iPhone? iPhone 10X, whatever it's called. Has anybody got the latest iPhone? You got it? Did it give you any more satisfaction? The exhilaration you felt at your first iPhone, do you still feel the same exhilaration at this one? Because they, can't, they can only progress so much. They can only provide so much. Now it's maybe plateaued, right? There's only so much you can do. But this is just the nature of the world. You get tired. I only go to malls when I actually need something. I've stopped going to malls just to browse because it's a waste of time and it just tempts you for no reason. Market, this, this whole concept of, of consumerism and you have Amazon here, right? Now look at the psychology. Amazon, mashallah, they've done a wonderful job that they've literally basically put so many other Cust uh, uh, businesses out of business because they provide a wonderful service they provide if you get prime then you can access their videos you can access next day shipping and the feeling of instant gratification is wonderful if I order something today and that Amazon box arrives the next day the feeling I get of opening that box is amazing but then once you've opened and you've taken out the product and then I say it's gone then I have to do it again so tomorrow I need another box and the next day I need another box and then I'll have 50 pairs of shoes or 30 dresses or maybe 100 dresses 
Once I came back from Hajj, I mentioned this yesterday as well, or some other day. I came back from Hajj and I found out I had too many jubbas. And it made me feel guilty. You can have new things, but get rid of the old things and donate them. Don't hoard things just to look at and to feel good about it. That's why I don't like to talk about this, but since we're on the topic, marriages. I still don't understand. Look, I'm not a woman, so forgive me, right? I still don't understand why for the wedding day, you must buy a dress for that one day, which costs this huge amount of money. And you will never see it. You will never wear it again. And it will gather dust in, in your wardrobes. Get a nice dress. I'm not saying don't. I just don't understand why it must be a certain type just so you can show off. I just don't understand that. But as I said, I'm not a woman, so maybe there's something in there that I don't get. All right? I've never been a woman, so I can't really relate to that. Right? I'm just saying, this is just, as I said, I'm going to throw a lot of things at you just to think. Right? It's up to you what you take. We ask Allah that it makes this useful. So, what he's writing, uh, that journalist in London is writing, is that consumerism is going to end soon because people are not finding the heart satisfaction. There's only gratification for a short while. Then it goes. Then you have to do it all over again. And then people get tired of doing it. So it's not working. People are going to be tired of it soon. They're going to turn back to spirituality. Because right now the age we're living in is a godless age. Where instant gratification, self-satisfaction, uh, self uh, what, else, what else can you say? Reliance on the self because remember, uh, just generally, anthropologically speaking, whenever prophets began to propagate, previous prophets, it was generally the poor that joined in first. The rich came much later because generally speaking, the poor people, they have nothing else to, they need some kind of succor. They need some kind of assistance and refuge. So they find it in their faith. They find it faster. Wealthy people, because they're a bit intoxicated by their wealth, they have, so they think they're comfortable, they're confident, they don't need. That's why in the Quran, Allah says about the people of Nuh Islam, when they, when he called them, they said, uh, uh, what do you say? Uh, should we believe in you when it's the lowly people who have followed you? Lowly people following something doesn't make it wrong. Right? Okay, where lower class people go and eat. Maybe you don't want to go and eat there. I can understand that. But faith is a different thing. Some people, they can't be seen shopping in anything less than a certain brand. Okay, that's your prime. That's, if that's what you want. But what he's saying is that soon people are going to be, they're already getting tired. They're going to look for religion. And he's saying that Christianity is no longer going to provide a viable spiritual model because they have diluted the faith. Anything that was complicated, difficult, it's gone. It's been interpreted away. It's left as a free, uh, it's left as a feel-good religion. For example, the swine, the pig is harm in Christianity. The Bible says so. The, te the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Old Testament says so. Right? The swine is uh, un it's forbidden flesh. But why do Christians still have it? So I have a friend who's a Christian, 
uh, he's, uh, mashallah, uh, quite well, well educated in Christianity and in Islam. So I asked him the question. I said, the Bible says, so how come no Christian follows this? He said, because I think it's in the third century, they decided that the dietary laws will not be implemented. We will not follow dietary laws. So imagine in Islam, it's the same thing. Okay, no dietary laws. Eat what you want. So that was literally just taken out of the religion. What he's saying is that Christianity has removed anything that's difficult that gives the substance to the faith. Now it's just, he's saying basically that churches have nobody. They don't come. In London, there are so many churches or church buildings. Just in one year alone, a few years ago, I read in The Economist that the year before that, 50 churches had been sold to be made into offices or palatial homes. But now, some churches that are trying to survive, they're big churches like this. They get maybe 50 people. And generally those 50 people are immigrants, not even the locals. So now what they're doing is, he's saying that most church organizations are now becoming relief organizations. They're attracting people and volunteers by giving relief to people, like feeding the poor and such, because there's no worship element that anybody's attracted to. There's no practice element that anybody's attracted to. And he's saying that the Muslims have it, but he also says that even in Islam, there are people attacking these very same things to try to dilute the faith. And he says, you guys will probably do the same thing. You, 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 you will probably follow the same way as the Christians. So he's telling the Christians, you guys need to get your act together because people are all going to become Muslim otherwise when they're looking for religion. It's just, they will, be, they will take our faith if we, are, if we are going to be demonstrating it in the right way. So let us not be blinded and intoxicated by the consumerism that is available out there. Get what you want but leave that which is in excess and do not do israf as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us. So now what are you going to do finally? I mean the last point I will make before there's so many other points but I'll make one more point about the intellectual uh, keeping the same thing. If you're an intellectual, what are you going to give back to society? What is your, going to be your contribution? How are you going to thank Allah for giving you this mind, this brain, this understanding, this intellect, this diligence, this resolution. What are you going to give back to Allah? How do you thank Allah for it? The way to give thanks and shukr is by not using it in the wrong way. That's first and foremost. How can we use the bounties Allah has given us to disobey Him? That's why Hassan Basri rahmatullahi has a wonderful istighfar. He says in there, Oh Allah, I seek your refuge. I seek your forgiveness from that sin that I committed with the very wealth that you gave me. I give you something and you use it to disobey me. That feels very hard. Allah has given us intellect, ability and everything else. We want to make sure that we can use it for the right reason. So number one, we need to do shukr to Allah. Oh Allah, I must understand that this is from you. Okay, maybe my father was very intelligent as well. And maybe my mother was intelligent and my grandfather was intelligent. So it runs in the genes. But who made them intelligent? Who started off your gene process? How did you have that genome? Why do you have that specific type? It's because of Allah. It has to go back to Allah. We must recognize that. That gives us great contentment because when a person is Allah, he feels much more content. This is going to be a topic for tonight's discussion anyway.
about qadr and reliance on Allah. That's what we're going to be discussing. And it's a very important topic of tonight, probably more important than this discussion, because it really puts into perspective our life and how we react to the whole thing. It's a very important discussion tonight, right? So number one, we need thanks to Allah. Then we want to, uh, we, number two, we don't want to use it in the haram and the wrong. Number three, we want to do something good with it. Find a way that you can contribute. If you were here on Friday, uh, for the Friday talk I gave, then you will already know this, but I'm going to repeat it. How many of you here uh, were not in the Friday bayan I gave? Oh, so that's the majority. So I can repeat it. How many of you were here? Were in the Jummah? Okay, it's a minority, alhamdulillah. Because I don't like to say two, uh, things twice. I think it's boring, right? Uh, sometimes you have to repeat things twice. Anyway, there's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Related by Imam Ahmed and others, in which a sahabi called Amr ibn al-Hamik radiyallahu anhu says that man yuridillahu bihi khayran, ista'malahu. Whoever Allah intends good with, whoever Allah intends some good for, He will use him. Ista'malahu. Usko ista'mal karenge. Ista'malahu. Sahaba were surprised. What does that mean? So they said, ma ista'malahu ya Rasulullah. What does it mean? That He will use him. Then the Prophet said, Allah will give him the tawfiq, which basically means Allah will enable you, divinely enable you to do something before your death by which the people around you will be satisfied with you. So when you die, then inshallah, people will make dua for you. They will say, you know that sister Aisha who used to live around the corner, mashallah, look at the service she provided. Look how helpful person she was. Look at the benefit that she gave to everybody. Brother Ahmed or Yusuf or Musa, it doesn't have to be ulama that can provide service. Ulama are in a better position to provide service and to work on the deen because they know the shortcuts, they know the deals, right? Because they know the ahadith and so on. But you as non-ulama, who are non-ulama, right? Do not think that you cannot become a wali of Allah. Do not think that it's only for the ulama. Do not think that you can also be close to Allah. That you can also provide a service for the deen. Don't let anybody tell you that you cannot do that. You can do that and sometimes you can even maybe do it better than some other even learned people. In London we had a person in a particular city. When he died there were more people in his janazah than many other ulama. Why? Because he was such a useful person to people. Providing them selfless service with the ability Allah had given. So you as well, us, if Allah has given us something, we want to use it for the right reason. Now you must be thinking, how can I do it? I work in IT or I'm a housewife or I'm a taxi driver or whatever the case is. If you can dedicate some of your time, if you develop apps, maybe there's a non-profit organization that wants to use your service. Maybe give them a discount. Maybe give them for free. Remember, you can't, your charity doesn't mean you give everything for free. Because you're not, you're not a charity. You need to earn your own living. So earn a living. Earn a good living. But also donate some of your expertise, some of your intellect to others. There will be a lot of us who will just be totally confused as to what can I do. I don't know how I can help the deen. Many sisters may feel that way. Feel I'm just a woman in the house. I don't know what to do. Right? Some of the brothers will feel this way. Ask Allah. Every day, 
this was one of the advices from one of my teachers who I consider to be extremely well accepted, beneficial and successful. And he told me this 20 years ago. Make sure that no day passes without you performing two rakats of Salatul Hajjah. And doing a dua, Oh Allah, mujhe apne deen ki khidmat ke liye kubool kar le. Right, you do understand that. Accept me for the service of your religion. I don't know how I can be of service. I have no idea. Oh Allah, you accept me. And keep looking. And inshallah, Allah will help you. It could be something simple. It could be whatever. Just assisting others, assisting neighbors or whatever. Because when we die, is there going to be anybody to remember us? And to make dua for us? Let us leave a legacy. If you've got intellect, then why not leave a legacy? Not to say those people who don't have an intellect shouldn't leave a legacy. But if you think you got something, then you've got more reason to give something back. Don't keep asking what your deen can do for you. But ask what you can do for your deen and for humanity. Right? Ask what you can do. And when you have that kind of motivation, you will see that our whole outlook, people in depression, say one of the antidotes to depression is that you do things for other people. You keep busy. I know somebody in London, she's a divorcee with four children and mashallah, she just keeps occupied every day she's volunteering somewhere. I believe this is just her way of coping. If you're having husband and wife problems, then think of an activity, a common uh, activity, social activity that you can do together to help the masjid, help an organization, help the neighbors or whatever. It will make you bond together. When the Prophet ﷺ moved to Medina Munawwara, there were many different tribes and they had had a lot of uh, inter-fighting before. What he did was he got everybody involved in building the masjid. So they, because you have a common goal, you forget your little petty problems. If you have been having petty problems with husband and wife, go and do something together. And you will start seeing the successes and so on. You'll start making the bonding, inshallah. Anyway, I end my talk here. I hope it's been useful. I hope it's uh, raised some uh, reflection in our mind because that was the purpose. It wasn't to dictate anything to you, right? It wasn't to oblige you to do anything. It is just to make us think where we are, where we want to go. Think about where you want to be in five years and then 10 years and then 20 years and live your life accordingly and make sure you want to go to Jannah. Make sure you want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make sure you want to leave a legacy. That's all I can say. Uh, Jazakallah khair for turning up today on this Sunday, brothers and sisters. Uh, I am only here to take your dua. That's what I'm here for. So that's all I hope that you make some dua for me and my family. Right? That's all I hope for. Right? And make dua for our family and make dua for the Muslim Ummah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate us. وآخر الدعوان أن الحمد لله رب العالمين